Welcome to the podcast, Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where I connect authors with their readers. We also talk all about the author's inspiration, their journey to publication, and the authors will educate me and you, the listener, all about the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter, also known as The Author's Librarian. This podcast episode of the Authors of the Pacific Northwest is proudly sponsored by Mark Dawson's Self-Publishing Formula 101. The Self-Publishing Formula 101 is an extensive course that I have taken where you learn everything you need to know from the moment you type the end on your manuscript. It has over 30 hours of straightforward video guides to take out all the guesswork of self-publishing your own work. Um, It gives you tons and tons of information. So I highly, highly endorse Mark Dawson's Self-Publishing 101 formula. It's suitable for beginners at intermediate level and even advanced self-publishing authors will find tons of resources. It only launches two times a year. So get on my show notes on my website and follow the link so you can sign up for interest if you're interested in Mark Dawson's 101 Self-Publishing formula, which is a proud sponsor of this episode. Now to the show. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today I have the privilege of introducing you to Andrew Davey. So Andrew, say hello to everyone. Hello. Thank you so much for having me uh, on the show. Oh, you're so welcome, Andrew. I'm happy that you can be here. And so let's just get right to it and jump in. And Andrew, tell us a little bit about yourself, starting with what state in the Pacific Northwest are you coming from? Uh, I'm actually not in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, Uh, okay. So I hope that's okay. Yeah, Uh, yeah, it's good. It's good. Originally, I'm from New York City. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where I grew up. I eventually um, went to college in New Orleans. Uh, I went to Tulane. Uh, and then moved back to New York, um, at which point I went to graduate school eventually after working in a, a bunch of different fields um, for my master's in fine arts. Uh, so that's sort of where I first got a taste of writing. Um, and then I moved to uh, to Asia uh, to teach. Actually, I was able to teach while I was in college, while I was in grad school. Um, and then I moved back to uh from here to Virginia, from there to Virginia. So that's currently where I am. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I have had special guests from outside the Pacific Northwest. So that's all good with me. <laughs> I just didn't, I guess I didn't realize that part of it. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Are you a full-time author? Are you working other jobs, writing on the side? Kind of sounds like you might be full-time, but I'm not going to guess. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, I had had aspirations to be a full-time author, um, especially when I began graduate school. I sort of assumed that I I could write uh, hard-boiled crime fiction and yeah. take my place eventually in the in the you know on the bookshelves at Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what I what I when I got to school though, I realized that it would be a lot easier to focus on short stories um, rather than give somebody four chapters to read and remind them where they were in the grand scheme of things. Um, so I sort of switched gears, uh, after that. Um, and then I got into teaching, uh, as a way to sort of pay the bills. Yeah. Uh, I, so I, I assumed 
that I would teach and write, um, and I could do both of those. So I've still managed to have that um, that system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I sort of realized that, that that it is certainly possible to be a full time author these days. I just don't know if I'm if that's exactly what I wanted anymore. Yeah, um, yeah. And then I had a ruptured brain aneurysm almost four years ago. So that sort of okay. changed, changed everything. Um, I left the teaching profession. I'm actually back in school now getting a uh, counseling degree so that I can help other people adjust. But I'm still, still writing as often as possible. I have a few uh, books coming out um, over the next, you know, couple of years. So So I, I've, I guess you could say I've taken somewhat of a non-traditional uh, approach, but, um, but I did go to graduate school for writing. So that was very helpful. Um, I can ask and then, you about that. Yeah. Cause I've had a couple of people with graduate fine arts degree in writing and they found it very helpful. And I, and I'm in higher ed, so I work in higher ed and I hear a lot of back and forth about, you know, that some people felt like it kind of ruined their creative writing because they had to become so focused in on specific things as a master's. How do you feel about that argument? Well, I, you know, I remember uh, when I was in college, I wanted to be a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I remember I spoke to uh, Bruce Paltrow, Gwyneth Paltrow's father uh, came to, to, to talk to the class. Uh, He was actually there at the university to give a conference, but he he spoke to our class. He had, um, I think created the TV show St. Elsewhere. Uh, and then another show called The White Shadow. Um, so he was really well versed in television. Um, and his producing partner was really cool. He spoke to us and I asked him, what do you think about going to film school? And he said, well, film school is great because you're with like minded people who are also uh, excited about being filmmakers and you have access to equipment that you might not normally have. Um but he said, it's really what you make of it. Yeah. Uh, I recognize for me personally, I had a lot of drive and a lot of what I felt was natural inclination that needed to be shaped. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, going to grad school was great because I re- that's where I sort of really learned how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to thinking, I sort of know how to do it. Uh, yeah. And then really sort of getting the guidance. So if you're naturally inclined um, and you're driven and you have a strong grasp of the fundamentals, you probably don't need to go. Um, mm-hmm. It might save you a little bit of money too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm although still paying off my loans. So <laughs> I, I think fortunately most programs uh, it's, it's free. Essentially you don't, you're not paying tuition. It's subsidized by the school. Uh, and then you end up teaching yeah. to sort of, um, but yeah, I mean, if you're, it, it's definitely something that uh, you really need to feel like it's going to be a viable component of your future. Um, for me, it was, uh, and I felt like at the time that's, that was the necessary step. Um, I sort of discovered teaching while I was there, we had the opportunity to teach uh, and then I sort of realized like, oh, well, this would be better than going back to work uh, like in a finance company or a theater company, which I had what, uh, what I had done before. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that would be my my recommendation is 
if you if you really feel like you need it um, and it's worth it to you because it will it will lead to something, then then you might want to consider it. Um, yeah, I found it was great because the professors I had really took the time to sort of instruct and give good criticism and feedback. And I was there with people in, um, you know, workshops that I could get feedback from. So it was really helpful. Yeah. I, I, I heard two sides of the coin with it, of course. And, and I kind of feel like it would be helpful for the networking and the connecting with like-minded people because us writers tend to often be isolated, you know, when we're writing in our lives. And so that it's nice to know you're, you're not alone out there. Um, but I've also heard that it can, it's just the critiquing part of it can be kind of harsh, but I find that could be the case with anything, even if you're in a writer's group outside of college. <laughs> yeah. There's, I mean, there's a certain amount of, uh, ego checking that needs to happen. Um, which I think you'll, you'll, get like you said you'll get that in the writers group you'll get that from anyone who reads your stuff um i, I it it is obviously an expense um and i think you just have to debate whether or not it's a worthwhile expense but it's certainly not necessary um people don't need to uh yeah. i i was just at a point where i had been working in finance and then the subprime mortgage crisis hit yeah and i needed to sort of reevaluate everything and it was yeah. it just made sense Um, but, but yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's a requirement by any stretch. Um, Yeah. And I found, so I am, uh, my degrees aren't in writing, they're in library science and technology. And so I decided when I was going to start the podcast, do the writing, I was going to invest as if I was going to go back to school. So I've, I've done a lot of personal investment outside of school, but with learning how to do like self-publishing and podcasting and, you know, all sorts of things. So there's always an investment in something if you're going to do it right. So, you know, it, it kind of, I feel like it kind of played out the same, almost not as much as a master's degree, but you know, it could be if I let it get out of hand. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, it's sort of interesting. I think back, um, you know, of the, I don't know how many people that I, that were in my graduating class, uh, maybe three of us, I think used our degree in a writing capacity. Um, the, you know, the others, I think eventually found other, you know, other pursuits or, um, or whatnot. So I think for, there's probably a very small percentage of people that actually end up using it for what it was intended for. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's a roll of the dice. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So let's jump off of that aspect of it and tell us a little bit about your publishing journey. Are you, I know you have short stories and you just mentioned that you do have some books that'll be coming out. So are you traditionally all the way, are you hybrid kind of mixed or self-published? Can I give us the rundown on that? (laughs) So around the time that I was graduating in 2012 from graduate school, I began submitting short stories to online journals. Um, So for the next, I would say six years, uh, I was publishing pretty frequently in online journals, uh, short stories that would range from speculative fiction to science fiction, to horror, to, uh, 
to crime fiction, pretty much everything. Um, and then uh, a few years ago, I read a book by someone named Jonathan Ames, who traditionally write, wrote, um, you know, more memoir type stuff about really interesting and funny situations he'd find himself in. He was sort of like a Hunter S. Thompson type of writer where he would get into these really crazy situations, (laughs) but he wrote a crime fiction book and I read it and I thought, okay, well, if he can write a crime fiction book um, and it does, it did really well. They made it into a movie with Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, It's called you were never really here. Um, So I thought, okay, well, this is maybe a sign that I should try writing crime again. Um, and try to do something a little bit longer. So I ended up writing uh, a novella called Pavement, which I ended up finding about 20 small publishers that I thought would be interested. And the first one that I sent it to on the list said that they would publish it. Um, So, so then, so that was the, that book was accepted, I think in, um, 2017, the end of 2017. And I remember thinking, okay, this is going to be sort of the big break. This is what I've been waiting for. Uh, I was really excited. Um, and then obviously, unfortunately, the aneurysm happened the following year. Uh, and then the book was released soon after that. Um, and not much changed with regard to like what the, the expectations I'd had about what publishing a book would do. Um, but again, it was, you know, it wasn't at like a major publication house and I wasn't doing the talk show circuit, um, regardless. So, uh, but, but I was with a very good publisher called all due respect to books. And, uh, the guy who ran it, Chris Radigan was great in terms of giving me feedback and, and some suggestions. Uh, and then that became the start of a series. So I think, at some point within the next year, the fourth book in the series will come out. Um, okay. And so those are all traditionally published okay. um, with all due respect. And then I've found a few other small presses that I would submit work to that weren't part of the series, but would still be crime fiction of some sort. Um, and then when I, I wrote a memoir, which dealt with my recovery uh, and that I self published because I didn't think it's, it's so non-traditional in terms of its format. Like I, I make movie references frequently. I list movies, I have quotes. It's sort of all over the place. And I thought a traditional publisher probably won't want to touch this. Uh, Not to mention that, um, you know, it, it also dealt with like online dating, you know, adventures that I'd had and, I so that I just felt that today with Amazon being as user friendly as it is, I thought I would just so nonfiction I've tended to publish, uh, you know, self publish. Yeah. Uh, it's just easier. Um, yeah. Everything else so far has been traditionally published. Okay, and I was going to ask you about that—the writing through recovery aspect of it. You know. Um, and and I don't know how much you lost during that time and then the recovery part of it. Was writing uh, a good place for you to be at for recovery, for language skills and everything else? I don't kind of walk yeah. into that. 
Well, so, um, I was, so it, it's a crazy story. I was actually about to board a plane, um, and I fell on the jetway and thankfully I didn't board the plane. Um, and because I was at an airport and it was early in the morning, first responders could get to me, brought me to the hospital. Uh, I was in intensive care for about three weeks of which I have no memory of. Um, and then I was there for about another week and a half. And when I got out, uh, my abstract thinking wasn't really working. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of what I did was fill in the blank worksheets where okay. you would have to make inferences. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually within a few months, it just sort of all came back. I remember I did a worksheet where all of a sudden I knew, you know, that the dog with the diamond collar belonged to the woman who lived in New Mexico. And, and I hadn't really thought about revisiting if I could still try to write at that point. Um, but then I, I started sort of taking notes about the recovery thinking, okay, well maybe I'll write about this. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it wasn't until I, so I had written pavement already and I had already written, uh, a standalone book. Um, so I started incorporating notes in that, but that wasn't really new. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I thought about this other idea um, that would be a gold heist during the Great Depression. Oh, with, cool. <laughs> it was sort of like a dirty dozen type yeah, yeah. thing. With and, and I remember thinking, I'm just going to incorporate all of these interesting things. Like uh, my brother's a doctor. And for a little while during his residency, he was really fascinated with um, uh, rabies. The fact okay. that that there's I, I think there's only ever been one person that survived without medication. Um, so I thought, OK, what if I have like a bootlegger who catches rabies and lives without medication and decides to become, uh, you know, a, a religious follower and give up the life? So I, I remember thinking, OK, well, that'll be one of the characters and then I thought, okay, I could have like a bare knuckle boxer be another character and then a G-man be another. And I remember thinking if this thing never gets made, it'll just be fun to work on mm-hmm. and I'll see if I can still do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And fortunately I could, you know, I could, I could still, um, I could still, you know, process everything and write everything. There wasn't much of a difference that I noticed between the way I worked before and the way I work now. Um, Mm -hmm. But once that started to gel and I would get good feedback from my first readers, I thought, okay, well, maybe I can still, I can still do this. So from then it was just sort of like, well, I'll, I'll go back to the series and think of another story that would work. The, The series that I have is about two unlicensed private investigators that operate out of a diner. Um, the, the face of the operation never leaves. He just drinks coffee and eats pancakes. Uh, (laughs) It's, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, um, there was a series of detective books. Um, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, Nero Wolf was the name of the, of the, so Nero Wolf was sort of like Sherlock Holmes. He was this brilliant mind who lived in a brownstone in New York in the 1930s, I think. And he never left. 
He okay. was sort of like a, a, a recluse. Okay. Uh, and he had a partner that would do all the legwork, bring him back all the clues, and then he would solve the crime. Solve all of it. Okay. Call everyone to his house and then let the sus, you know. So I thought, what if I had my version of Nero Wolf who just ate pancakes at a diner and he had a partner that did all the fighting and physical stuff, but didn't like the, you know, like to operate in the shadows. Mm-hmm. So it was beneficial. So I, that, that's fortunate that there's never, th- those stories will never run out. There's always going to be like the next case that comes in. Um, yeah. So it's been great. I've been able to write, uh, you know, more of that series, um, standalone books. And then I've written a memoir and an addendum to the memoir, which incorporates the next, the last sort of few years of the recovery uh, and how things have changed. Oh, that's fantastic. I think that memoir is incredibly interesting and I would think helpful. So my listeners will follow you on your website and, and they can find all of, can they find all your books from your website? Oh, yeah. They, so my, my website's actually pretty comprehensive. It has um, every, every short story that I've published should mm-hmm. be, if the links are still working, it should be up there uh, along with links to the book. And then I, I have a, um, you know, separate things. Like I do a music review show with a friend of mine on YouTube. That. I was curious so, about that. <laughs> so, yeah, so everything is accessible. Um, people can even contact me through the website and, uh, and yeah, so it's all Let there. Let me ask you about your music review show. So I'm curious. So I saw that on there. Um, how do you guys do that? It, you're with a, a co-host, co-partner. Um, is it just music that you guys listen to? Is it from concerts you've gone to? How do you pick Yeah, your- so it's funny because it started out, we both, uh, we both took this marketing course together. Uh, I've actually, I've never, her name's Heather. She's very nice. Mm-hmm. One of the nicest people I've ever met. Uh, although I've never met her in person. I love it. <laughs> We've only, uh, so we both took this marketing course and she formed a Facebook group for one of the projects and it was going to be called happy hour with Heather and guest. Mm-hmm. And it was just going to be, uh, a, a place for people to sort of discuss bands and post music about bands uh, and then when the COVID-19 pandemic really hit, it became a chance for, for bands to play and then live stream their performance onto oh, the group. very cool. Yeah. So when, once it pivoted like that, she asked me if I would help out. Yeah. Um, so initially it was just, we would uh, feature bands pretty much every weekend playing from around the world uh, in the, from their rehearsal spaces and broadcast the feed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as, as COVID has sort of waned a little bit and bands are playing live again, uh, I pitched the idea, well, why don't we review uh, bands that we like? Um, so we, we try to work. She and I both enjoy listening to uh, all the sort of genres of heavy metal Mm-hmm. Uh, ex- yeah. ex- not not the stuff that's like you know clobber you over the head. Uh, yeah. It still it still has to have like melody and yeah. Um, but we'll try to find bands that uh, are sort of regionally known mm-hmm. or known in the underground, but they're not um, you know like Metallica or something. Yeah, and, and that's pretty much what we do. So cool. she'll she'll pick a band. 
to feature uh, one episode. I'll pick a band the next episode and then we'll flip flop. And then we ask any band that wants to could submit music for us to review. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes we, uh, we interview bands. Uh, we'll do that. So mm-hmm. that's sort of how it started and then pivoted as COVID has sort of waxed and waned. Um, but it's typically on the heavier side of music. Um, yeah. since we, we, we both are sort of kindred spirits in that regard. I love it. I love it. And the reason why I'm curious about that has, um, my listeners know this, but I married a musician. He was a full-time drummer, um, back in the hair band days and in the eighties, but he started out as punk rock here in the Pacific Northwest, really well known. And so, um, when I saw that, I'm like, Oh, I got to ask Andrew about what they're doing. Cause it, I think that the medium um, for podcasts or video casts or Facebook can lend so well for bands. And a lot of bands have really caught on, you know, to using that medium to get their music out there. So I think that's really cool what you guys are doing. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, it's now that I think about it, uh, we, we've definitely worked with bands from the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Um, there's a lot you of know. great ones. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm I'm sure they, they probably run in the same cert, you know. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's great. Yeah. I lived the first eleven years of our marriage. I lived with the band on tour, raised our two kids up until they were old enough to go to school full time. I'm like, okay, I'm done with the band wide thing. I'm gonna go home and raise a kid. So I know that back into that story very well. So that's really interesting. So good. Okay, so let's um so let me make sure I, I get all the information. So are you, your genres are generally, you're kind of all over the place with genres, but they're around the crime fiction. Is that yeah, I would say, correct? I would say crime fiction is really the epicenter. Mm-hmm. Um, every so often I will incorporate a different genre into that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote, I wrote a book called Leviathan Rising, which is a murder mystery on the set of Jaw, the film Jaws. Oh, that's fantastic. The (laughs) reason why the shark wasn't working was that there was a dead body in there. Oh, that's Um, really good. (laughs) And then, you know, and it's all the, all all the real life, like Steven Spielberg's featured and all the other, you know, the actors, Roy Scheider, uh, Richard Dreyfuss. um, And then my guy sort of comes in and solves the problem so that the movie can get back on track so that the producer's not losing a lot of money. Oh, that's very creative. I love that. (laughs) love that good good. so yeah so i'll i'll sort of pull in these very strange sometimes uh subject matter but i'll it'll be a crime fiction sort of uh take on it yeah i love crime fiction of all kinds and um again it's Bunch of us from the Pacific Northwest will always say that we kind of are drawn to crime fiction. There's some really good crime fiction that comes out of our area. And I say it's because it rains so much and it's dark and gloomy here and the forests are ridiculous. So if you have any crime fiction bent to you, you know, you think about dead bodies in the forest around here. Oh, yeah, I would. I would imagine. I, yeah. I mean, the Pacific Northwest, I think, lends itself. to to that genre definitely yeah so I love crime fiction I'm dabbling with writing one myself um at least I got skeleton bones to it and stuff but we'll see where that ends up so let's 
get featured. You, you and I talked a little bit before we um, hit record, and you are going to read for us one of your short stories. So we're going to set the stage for that. So Andrew, tell um, the listeners anything that they need to know before you start the short story. If there's some back, anything you want to share, backstories or whatever, I'm going to go on mute and listen to as you read. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, so the, the story is called Prolific, the Obituary of Jack O'Brien. Um, and this, I thought this would be good because this sort of pulls from all different elements of what I dabble in. Um, there's a lot of, uh, obscure movie references, which is sort of a trademark of mine. Um, th- there's some, you know, there's some humor that I hope will be funny. Um, and then, you know, sort of that crime element to it. Uh, but I will just dive in. I don't think you really need to know anything in particular. Um, but, uh, okay. So the obituary prolific, the obituary of Jack O'Brien, Jack O'Brien, creator of some of the most provocative shows on television from 1974 to 1983 died Friday. He was 87. The cause is reported to be complications from diabetes. Born Hyman Lipschitz, O'Brien started out as a page for Warner Brothers. He transitioned to the mailroom before becoming a staff writer and eventually a supervising producer for the hit show Knuckle Sandwich. Former middleweight champion Dwight Franklin played Slip Slap Jenkins, a boxer who moonlights as a short order cook for an orphanage who uses his purse money to provide better meals for the children. O'Brien later unsuccessfully sued the producers of Nacho Libre, but lost during Writers Guild arbitration. See Lipschitz vs. Hess Black and White Productions. The show's theme song, Slip Slap and Away, broke the top 10 on the charts in 1975. O'Brien was successfully sued by Paul Simon, who claimed the theme song plagiarized Slip Sliding Away. O'Brien was unable to argue parody as a defense. See Slip, slap, same. Judge votes in favor of Simon. O'Brien helped develop Marlboro Jones, starring T.J. Burnell, about a private investigator in an iron lung who solves crimes from his apartment. Former Oakland Raider John Killer Katugan played Marlboro's partner, Dan Slade Anderson. A fundamental reworking of Nero Wolf, Anderson would do field work and report back to Jones who would figure out the culprit while incapacitated from battling the effects of botulism. The episode entitled Just the Tip of the Spear would win O'Brien the coveted EGAG that year, an Emmy, Golden Globe, AVN Award, and Grammy. This was followed by a show O'Brien developed, The Shank Bone Redemption, about an incarcerated Orthodox Jewish prisoner who must remain observant while trying to negotiate the pitfalls of prison life. A memorable episode involved everybody's favorite inmate, Moisha Horowitz, digging a tunnel but being unable to use it until sundown. Another fan favorite included the episode where Moshe made kosher pruno in his toilet. T-shirts with Moisha giving the throat-slashing gesture and depicting the words, give him a Hebrew haircut, were a best-selling item in 1981. A spin-off of Shankbone followed. A Spoonful of Pruno Makes the Heroin Go Down, a musical about the heroin trade in a maximum security prison. This generated the hit songs 
balloons and mules, cavity searches, in parentheses, no fun for anyone, and ABC, easy as GED. Toward the end of his career, O'Brien found a resurgence with the remake of the British show Spells of Privilege about hitman Llewellyn Headstrong Jones, who tries to marry a witness who saw him carry out a murder. In 1982, after suffering from exhaustion and possible addiction, see O'Brien and O'Kane, substantiated reports of Hollywood drug addiction. O'Brien joined the French Foreign Legion under the nom de guerre Iron Bar Bassey. He was later sued for defamation by Gary Angry Anderson, who played said character in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, and for licensing rights by George Miller. See Anderson Kennedy Miller Productions versus Lipschitz. During this period, O'Brien participated in the Chadian Libyan conflict for two years before disappearing into the Democratic Republic of Congo. There, he released a memoir, Dread Medicine in which he purported to carry out covert military operations for the CIA. He was later sued by Chuck Barris and settled out of court. See Chuck Barris Enterprises versus Lipschitz. In 1984, while in safari in Kenya, O'Brien survived an attack by a group of almost 100,000 baboons. Suffering from the effects of a massive drought, the baboons had organized, descended from Mount Kilimanjaro, cannibalized each other, and attacked humans. When the slaughter ended, O'Brien, like Quint from Jaws, vowed to destroy all baboons. He swore a blood oath and set up a compound in Kenya with the specific intention of hunting the species to extinction. He went after Papio hamadryas, Papio anubis, Papio sinusophallus, and Papio ursinus. He refurbished an old army jeep and mounted an M2 Maduce Browning 50 caliber machine gun bolted to the truck bed, and belt-fed on a tripod, it was able to fire APIT armor-piercing tracer rounds capable of penetrating three-quarter-inch thick steel plates at a distance of over 100 yards. Rumors and legends sprang up of the crazy hunter tearing through the countryside, blasting Van Halen's Everybody Wants Some from loudspeakers attached to the hood and roof. You can't get romantic on a subway line would disrupt the quiet chattering of animals at an oasis before O'Brien, then called Nwamane Mochomba, or Iron Man, decimated whole troops of baboons. He was later sued by both Marvel and Black Sabbath for copyright disputes. See Marvel Worldwide Inc. and Iomi Ward Butler Osborne versus Lipschitz. O'Brien ran afoul of game wardens and local warlords who, regarding him as a common enemy, arrested and charged him with crimes ranging from unlawful trespassing to poaching. He was incarcerated in Isiolo Prison in Kenya for the next six years. Luckily for O'Brien, both prisoners and guards were all fans of Moisha Horowitz and the Shankbone Redemption, so he navigated his incarceration with relative ease. Upon his release, O'Brien renounced his history, bought an old schooner, and departed for parts unknown. Recently, photographs appeared of him having spent the last 20 years on the South Pacific island of Hangaroa. There, he established a following based on the teachings of the Ethiopian Zionist Coptic Church, and he spent the rest of his days preaching. Mr. O'Brien is survived by four ex-wives and 24 children. In lieu of flowers, the family is asking for donations to pay for his outstanding legal debts.
That's and awesome. Then, thank you. He got sued so many times. They need a good legal debt. <laughs> he paid for. Yeah. That's and amazing. again, that was that was something where I had read a, a, a short story by a guy named Marshall Brickman. Uh, it's called Who's Who in the Cast, and it's just this. Re- it's it's like a playbill. Who's who in the cast? But it just gets more and more ridiculous with the actors' credits. So I thought, okay, that's a pretty interesting format for a short story. What if I try to do a really outlandish obituary? Yeah, that's, um, it's fun. That's so much fun. So as we head out to the podcast, Andrew, with your um, your history of writing and kind of the, the types of writing you've done, who, what would you tell an aspiring author that's kind of just getting their chops with all of this who might be listening to the podcast? What's some advice you'd like to share with them? Uh, well, uh, so a couple of things I would say. Um, test, you know, you're going to hear a lot of advice for what works, what doesn't work. You know, a, a writer should write 12 hours a day. They should write 5,000 words a day. Um, Figure out what works for you and which is going to take time. I would say the best advice is to try and be as, as versatile as you can. Um, you're often going to have uh, parameters that are put in place that you can't control. Um, while it would be great to be able to write in the perfect setting, often you know, you're going to have to make do with people talking or the phone ringing or things like that. So try to develop uh, so that you can write under any circumstances. Uh, That would be my first advice. And the second would be um, it's going to take, it takes a long time to really feel comfortable with everything, find your voice, find your process, figure things out. Um, You're going to be discouraged a lot of the time, but remember there's, you're never really, I falsely thought at some point I would cross the finish line and suddenly everything would be different. And I've realized you're, you're there, there might be different stages to the race, but it's a lifelong marathon. Um, so obviously if you, if you get discouraged and feel discouraged, that's fine. Um, but don't give up, uh, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll make it work eventually. Um, and those would be my two biggest uh, piece of advice. Well, Andrew, those are perfect pieces of advice because you're speaking to me as well. <laughs> so, yeah. So I just, um, just this last year decided I was going to give up on a few other things to make room for writing a little more. Um, but no, it's true. It's, it's a lifelong process and it, it takes a while to figure out your process. And boy, do we get a lot of advice. <laughs> Don't well, we? there's a, there- Actually, there's one more important thing that I that I always say is if you can take enjoyment in just the process of writing, yeah. um, rather than focusing on the goal of what I need for this to do, yeah. um, then you'll never lose. It'll always be something that'll be enjoyable. Yeah. Um, yeah. So th- those would be the three the the three things that you know if if I had a Mount Rushmore or a, uh, you know, a, a commandments. Yeah. Those would be yeah. The, the, the top three probably. Well, I love it. And Andrew, I totally appreciate all three of them. And I'm sure my listeners do too. I'm taking in the third one for sure, because I started to lose 
joy in the process because I was trying to focus in on all these other things around it. And I'm like, okay, if I lose joy, I don't want to do it. So I'm going to just clear the slate and go back to that joy place that I found. And that's okay if it takes me 10 years. It's, you know, it's the joy that matters. (laughs) So yeah, I've, I mean, I've had to do that. I've had to remind myself frequently, um, you know, and this is after I've even published, uh, you know, books traditionally, Mm-hmm. which which I had thought was crossing the finish line before. Yeah, yeah, like um, you won, you've made it, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, and then, of course, it's sort of like, well, okay, well, but I still want to do this. I'm not, you know, nothing has changed. Uh, maybe I should focus less on trying to publish a book and more on just enjoying writing it. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. I agree. I hear you. Okay, my friend Andrew, so my listeners can find you on your website. Um, Now that we're kind of getting out of the COVID process, do you have any big things coming up face-to-face that you'll be able to announce on your website, Um, ways people can connect with you? Uh, Nothing, not that I know of face-to-face so much. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I I check my email regularly. I'm somewhat active on social media uh, to a point, um, but people can get in touch with me that way. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I will be, I will be, uh, elbow deep in school, um, in May, starting in May for a while. So, um, but I, I still have things I'll be working on writing wise right. and, uh, and yeah. And then the music review show, we try to put one out every Wednesday. Oh, that's fantastic. So, well, you guys keep doing that. I know how much work that is. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, well, Andrew, it's been a pleasure meeting you here. Um, listeners, here's your action item. Go find Andrew on his website, through social media. Let him know you heard about him on the podcast. Um, send him an email. Buy one of his books. Comment on one of his short stories. I'm sure he'll appreciate it. And Andrew, I totally thank you for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Make sure you jump on the show notes and find the author, buy their books, write a review. And most importantly, you can find out more about me and my projects at one of my two websites, www.squishpin.com or theauthorslibrarian.com. And until next time, this is Vicki J. Carter, the Authors Librarian, signing off.